Before we begin, I just want to warn you that we're going to be talking about some really tough issues in this episode, so bring it on. But if you have been affected by any of them, we've included some contact information for organisations that can help in the show notes. My bins, they overflow Been rejected by the bin man My hoarding's out of control Don't want to bring back any one-night stands You're scared to talk about it Don't want to make a scene Can't get that loft extension So I live in a landfill of memories Hiya! I'm Susanna Amato, but you can call me Susie. And this is the Landfill of Memories podcast. My stage show, Landfill of Memories, came about because I had a breakdown and through that breakdown, I discovered that I was a hoarder. And in this podcast, we look back at all the things that we keep for the memories. We've all heard that one before, right? Keep it for the memes, put it on the Instagrid. From sentimental objects to the most silly things, we relive each item story and hear about the part they've played in our lives. And as an owner of over 500 train tickets, a ridiculous amount of receipts and a phenomenal amount of photos, I've finally come to recognise the power of letting things go. So in this podcast, I ask my guests to bring in three things that remind them of significant moments in their lives. An item that reminds them of a childhood memory, an item that reminds them of a tough time, and an item that reminds them of such an amazing memory they'll treasure it forever. And then, at the end of the conversation, we'll find out whether they'll keep the memory or decide to shred it into pieces. Daniel Hoffman-Gill is an actor and writer from Nottingham. He's been acting for 25 years and has worked across some of the most iconic film and TV shows, including Sherwood, Doctor Who, Sherlock, and is currently working on the new Sky TV Western, Django. Daniel is soon to be back on tour with his one-person show, The Great Almighty Gill, which pays tribute to his dad, David, who passed away in 2015. It was a real honour to speak to Daniel. There was lots of happy weeping in the studio. Who doesn't love a happy weep? I hope for those of you who have lost a loved one in your life, you can also resonate with this conversation or that you find that it's helpful in some way. The myth, the legend, the giant. Daniel Hoffengill, welcome to Landfill of Memories podcast. That's a fantastic introduction. I think we, our work is done here. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was lovely to see you. <laughs> how are you today? Um, I'm not too bad. I'm bearing up. Great. How, how was the journey up from ye old London? It was good. You know, incorporated the delay with the inevitable delay within my mm-hmm. train timetable navigation. Mm. And um, yeah, just hopped on the earlier one, the 10.33. I thought, let's not risk the 10.53, Daniel. Yeah, totally. Uh, especially with the quirky tram timetable system that exists in Manchester. (laughs) That thing. Yeah, that thing. (laughs) Never mind the maps. Don't even start me on the map system. (laughs) So whoever designed that really needs a sound thrashing, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Now, you might be wondering why we're sitting here in Media City UK Salford and we're sat next to a shredder. Uh, We shredded paper. Mm -hmm. Don't worry, this is all going to be recycled, by the way. Um, That's because I'm a hoarder and have been for many years. And I do find it difficult to part with my belongings and possessions and objects. Is there anything in your house at the moment where you're thinking, yeah, need to get rid of that? That's gathering dust. Do you have a shit drawer, may I ask, as well? No, I am the opposite of a hoarder. I throw too many things away and then get told off um, (laughs) by various people that love me in my life for throwing things away that were important. (laughs) And I'm just like, well, I'll just buy another one. Like what? Oh, I just... Don't get me wrong. I hold on to things in what I call my special boxes. But we're talking a couple of shoe boxes Mm. um, for my entire life. Really? Just two? Well, I... Or two or three, or even yeah, just a few. It's two or three, and then there's there's a bit of a one of those old school, you know, bag for life jobs that's got 
just I did a kids show in 1998 and we had so much positive response I've ended up carrying around all these drawings that children made and actually that could definitely go in the recycling now I'm talking about this out loud but no I don't have a drawer where I just stick stuff I'm very lean I like to eBay mm. or wear clothes till they kind of collapse maybe too lean some people might say well Albert Einstein Albert Einstein. <laughs> Albert Einstein only had two. <laughs> he did, didn't he? Oh, here he goes. Old Albert. Hey. E equals MC what? Get out, love Screwed. it. Screwed. <laughs> Albert Einstein. So he only owned and wore one pair of shoes at a time. So he would wear wow. one pair of shoes to everything until got holes and manageable. But this was a time, obviously, where you could buy a pair of shoes and it would last you a lifetime. Mm. So he only really owned two or three pairs of shoes in his life. Is that similar to you? Do you only have like a couple of pairs of shoes, trainers? No. No. So I am a capitalist dog and I do like clobber. I am a clothes horse. So I do unfortunately own too many pairs of fancy shoes. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a Molder Marcos levels. I think I've only got 16 pairs of shoes, but Mm -hmm. that's probably too many. So no, I do like buying stuff. It's just that when stuff has served its purpose, mostly, mostly, I uh, either recycle it or give it away or sell it if, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever's appropriate. So, yeah, I'm not Spartan, but I just don't hold on to stuff apart Mm. from my special boxes, Mm. which obviously I went through Mm. for the podcast today. I rummaged through them. So talking about childhood memory then, this podcast is all about looking uh, back at the things that we have for the memories. And uh, we look back at all the memorable items that we've kept through our lives before deciding which memorable item we will keep or we'll go through the shredder. Mm. And obviously the decision is entirely yours as well. I'm not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. Thank you. For the first time in my life, I won't force someone <laughs> to do what I want them to do. So then, starting with your memorable item that, that you've kept that reminds you of a childhood memory, what have you brought with you today? And can you describe it for us? Yeah, I've brought my exercise book from my fourth year at Frank Weldon Comprehensive School. It's French um, for Welbeck. That was my house. We had houses. It was a terrible comprehensive school in Nottingham, but we had houses to pretend that we were posh. So this is from 1990. So I'm 14. And um, And I wasn't born. Yeah, Okay. all right. (laughs) Crikey, O'Reilly. Rub it in. And I brought it because of what's inside the back cover, which is me. And I've written uh, Daniel Loves. I haven't written Loves, by the way. I've drawn a heart with apostrophe S. And then my girlfriend's name, who I'm not going to say who it was because I feel like there's two sides to every story and I'm going to talk quite a bit about our relationship, I think, and Mm -hmm. she's not here, so I'm not going to say. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I've written that on the inside. And the person in question was like my first love, first girlfriend, uh, first person I ever slept with. And we were together from ages of like 13-ish to 16-ish. But I've kind of cheated because it's not particularly, I suppose, a happy memory. But it's one of those weird mixes of things where it's that first love and just those innocent little words but of Daniel loves. But the relationship actually was just, what's the word, I suppose? Well, it's, abusive is the word, yeah. It was an abusive relationship. And I think it's just funny looking back at this book from this, what was a naive, innocent 14-year-old Daniel. And then it symbolises for me like a death of, of innocence. Not just in the normal way of like falling in love and having your heart broken, but of things that really shouldn't have happened. Mm. Um, Both to her, which was then the abuse that she kind of enacted out onto me. So I was originally going to bring in a letter. Well, it's not really a letter. It was a piece of paper that my dad wrote on Mm -hmm. because I had a big like fallout with my parents over something stupid and... I kind of, before I left the house, I wrote, I love you on a bit of paper and then like disappeared for 48 hours. Mm. And then when I got back, my dad had written, we love you too. And because he couldn't spell anything, he'd put like two as if you're going to somewhere. And I treasure that because we're not the kind of family to say I love you Mm. at all. Even now, it's still a bit weird when mum tries to say it to me on the phone. She Mm. can't say I, just go love you. And I kind of say it back, but it's not what we do as a family. Mm. So I treasured that bit of paper. And when I was looking for it, I found this old exercise book. And I was quite shocked to see in the back that I'd written this kind of dedication at the time to Mm. my girlfriend at the time. But the ramifications of that first relationship all those years ago, I still carry with me today. Mm. And I'm still really 
I only kind of began a therapeutic journey mm -hmm. uh, last summer. Mm. June June 17th I've got the date kind of burned in when I had the first therapy session mm. so yeah it's kind of odd because it is it's that mix of that childhood that first love and not everything that comes with that that's mm. quite beautiful yes but exactly it wasn't very beautiful certainly mm. not for very long and that's not a good way to start on life's journey is it not really it'd no, just be nice to have your heart broken normally rather than it be mm. three years of horror well, I think what you've just said is really important because not not everyone's lives are normal mm. I had to say that to myself when I was going through my therapeutic journey mm. I prefer that term actually mm. um with my dad you know my dad was quite an abusive man mm. and I you know when you go through episodes of just being frantic and just process too much emotion and processing I actually wrote that I, I had a conversation with myself going why is everything so difficult and why can't I just be like everyone else why can't I have a normal life mm. and my answer back was you haven't had a normal life, so why try and lead a normal life now? Mm. And it was about recognising that my life's journey didn't start out normal. And it's, yeah, it's important to have healthy emotions and to process things through therapy and understand oneself. But it's also OK that your life didn't start out like that, too. Mm. And that this is the journey that you're on now. That's mm. the train that you're on. And you're going to try and fix where possible, mm. acknowledge where possible and love where possible. Absolutely. I've known for such a long time that what happened was was wrong mm. and that it gave me serious mental health issues that still uh, have quite severe kind of ramifications now. But I think what happened is, is that I'd kind of anecdotalised it and to a degree, trivialised it or made a good story out of it. And because I'd already had therapy when I was younger due to my uh, relationship with my dad, which was, by the sounds of it, along the lines of yours in terms of physical and kind of mental abuse, I kind of thought that I was fixed and that I'd fixed myself in a sense, which is obviously a, a silly thing to think. And that I hadn't, and like I said, it was only uh, summer last year that I actually spoke to someone about what happened over, well, God, yeah, over 30 years ago. Mm. And um, I agree with you about acknowledging and, in a sense, kind of respecting where you've been before. But uh, something that I'm kind of wrestling with at the moment is I've spent so long pretending that things were normal. Mm. Well, not normal, but things were like, that's all right. It'll be, it's okay. Everyone's, everything is a bit weird sometimes. Yeah. But actually, I've started to realise, because I had, I didn't have a difficult childhood in like that poverty and that kind of stuff. I just had a difficult childhood in terms of lots of abuse in different ways and then mm. the abuse that then I enacted onto others and all kinds of dysfunctional behaviours. And... It's just kind of, I'm still working with that idea of being like, oh, God, my childhood was really, really, really messed up. It mm. was like, it was, you know. How are we going to get out of this one? Yeah, it is. It's like, oh, God. And obviously acknowledging that is a huge step. But it's, um, some days recently especially, it just feels, it, it feels like a bit of a too heavy a burden to carry. So I stay in bed for a bit longer. Mm. And other days, it's I can see a path mm. through. So when I saw this, and I was like flicking through it, because there's hardly any work in here. What were you studying in this book? Oh, it's French, yeah. So it's got, um, you know, it's got verb practice in there. You know, je travaille en, en council de Europe, en classe, <laughs> la vie famille en France, uh, quelques statistiques. And I had to just, I mean, God knows what the answers. The answers are both in French and English. Little sketches. <laughs> oh, they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... A, it's, it's pretty a, full. Actually, it's a letter to my... We did French exchange, obviously. Oh. So this is a letter to Pierre, who was my French exchange partner. Pierre Xavier was his... He had a double-barrel <laughs> first name. And... Um, what? <laughs> who in France doesn't? <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. Jean-Philippe, Pierre Xavier. <laughs> and um, bit of a sad story, actually, because he came to the UK bit, and then when it was about going to... Uh, Bordeaux for the English to French section, his parents had got divorced and he'd moved. Oh, So I couldn't go. So I Gutted. stayed with a very weird, very weird <laughs> French young man whose dad was a tyrant. In Bordeaux? Yeah. So he still went to Bordeaux? Yeah, still went. So everyone else had their partners that had come over oh, to no. the UK and I had some rando 
And um, he wasn't my cup of tea. I really liked Pierre Xavier. He had an air of the rebel about him mm. and he was quite short. So we, we made an awkward looking team. <laughs> well, this lad, the, I can't remember his name. And his dad was horrible. His dad used to tell me off every day for not speaking enough French. Oh, God. Yeah. That sounds awful. So I, like, prepared a monologue in French <laughs> to apologise to him and all this stuff. Je suis très désolé. <laughs> yeah. En français, it's très mal. And I was, I was with the young girl that um, is the back of this exercise book is is dedicated to. We're, like, 14 and Are a half, Are you both the 15. same age? Yeah, both the same okay. age. Yeah, I was madly, just madly in love with her. We actually technically, I think, only went out for about four months. Mm. But in terms of... She had boyfriends, and then I, she would see me after they'd left. It was a, it was a crazy scenario to be mm, involved in mm. as a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old boy. And then I'd go round after and be with her. And, yeah, that was my... But obviously I was just obsessed with, you know, that intense teenage mm, yeah, love. love. Yeah. And for reasons that now I understand, she manipulated me. But that's because she was... She had been um, not treated very well either. So she was basically reenacting stuff with me and in order to empower herself. Mm. And it's funny, when I started the therapy about all of this, initially my feelings about her were really negative. Mm. I just, they was full of lots of anger and resentment. But I knew I'd made some progress when my therapist said, oh, if you could see her now, what, what would you say and what would you do? And I'd just say that I, I'm sorry. Mm. And give her a big cuddle and I hope that she's okay and I hope that she's on a journey of her own. Which is when I knew mm. that I'd made a massive leap. Because before she was like the butt of a joke slash someone I never wanted to see, despise, you know, that mm. kind of heavy language. But actually now I'm like, ah, that's all nonsense. Mm. She was vulnerable and damaged herself and she was coping with it the best she can and she used me for that but mm. she was 13 14 15 16 same you know mm. we only were like separated by a couple of months age-wise mm. so thank you for sharing that that can't have been easy to go over because sometimes it's hard to go over memories but also it's cathartic mm. to say as well and often i think the hardest thing to spot when your kids is children abusing other children mm. and that's really difficult no one had a clue no and even now mutual school friends uh, not that I'm in touch with many people from school, but at the time, a few years after, no one believed me. Mm. No one believed awful. me at all. And even now, my own mum doesn't believe me. Obviously, my close friends now believe and understand, but obviously, I only told them a bit of the story, and it wasn't until, like I said, I started therapy on like June 17th that I've had a better understanding for me to be able to pass on mm. to my friends what happened. So they believe me. But yeah, I think it was... No, no, she wasn't like that. When I went out with her, I said, mate, they were like, it was hard to get a kiss out of her. I was like, yeah, right. But when you left at nine o'clock or whatever, because obviously we're kids, I'm round, you know, and we're sleeping together. And they're like, what? I don't believe you. You're making this up. Oh, I wouldn't make this up. Mm. I'm not boasting. It's not like I'm yeah. trying to come across as some Lothario activity. I'm trying to share this, what was with hindsight, you know, just disturbing. Yes. You're trying to say this happened to me. Yeah. yeah. Why aren't you listening? But it's like you said, I think because it's the people at the time I'm talking to were my peers the same age, we're late teens by then. It's still, we're not equipped with the language Mm. to understand it. Mm. And yeah, and definitely it's better to share and talk about it. And I thought, ah, this is something that would be good to, um, because it is, it's a massive part of my childhood. Massive, yes. massive. And so does this book have a kind of reflecting on seeing that message? You feel like you've learned something from that, even though it's something you've, maybe you weren't, as you said, you weren't going to bring, you're going to bring something else related mm. to your dad, so. Yeah, I, yeah, because I think at the moment, this is what's very pressing in my life right now, and it's what I'm working through, mm. you know, as we speak. And my therapist has uh, got me thinking more about I used to imagine my mental health issues as like a a goblin or a demon or like a monster that was inside of me. But now I see them for what they are, which is a really scared, vulnerable and worried 13-year-old me that was thrown into this relationship expecting it to be like what you'd see on the telly. Mm. And it was some a language I didn't understand, but I, I was in love. And so when I see those words written, I see that, that well, in this case, a 14-year-old Daniel that's just trying to, I don't know, yeah, make sense of it. But I'm trying to nurture and and love and and think about that 14-year-old, 15-year-old version of myself. Mm. 
And when I saw those words, I thought, yeah, it's a loss of something, a death, really, of a whole part of um, childhood experience that I never really got to live. And when Mm -hmm. I saw those words, it's such a mixed... It's kind of joyous, because falling in love is, but it's also, yeah. Yeah, and it sounds to me as well that you're, like, seeing that memory and comforting yourself as an Mm. adult now and going, oh, you know, you're not there anymore. Mm. This may have happened to you, but you aren't in that situation anymore. Yeah. And to bring that love that you need to comfort that. Yeah, and comfort that part. Yeah, comfort that part of myself. That's absolute. um, I haven't done that. And I've only started doing that since last summer. So Mm. I'm only at the very beginning beginning of what's going to be a long journey. But already it's lifted, I don't know, about 40 tonne that I've been carrying around ever since I've been 13. So... And I'm 47 in a couple of months. So, yeah, it's been a, it's a long well, time to I'm carry that. I'm happy that it's lifting for me. I, it I is. feel lifted, even you just talking about it and saying, like, I've come across this and, you know, this happened, but let's comfort and love and just mm. kind of go, OK, that was a part of my life. And, you know, in a way, it's impacted you in a certain way that's got you to this point now mm. to say, like, OK, I'm ready to open that door and, and process. And sometimes it will be difficult and sometimes it won't be. Mm. But let's confront it. Absolutely. Let's confront it. Absolutely. So then, if I may, it's time for the big question. Mm-hmm. Daniel Hoffman Gill. <laughs> You're a winner! No, Daniel Hoffman Gill. Full title. <laughs> to shred or not to shred? This is going to be a shred. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be a shred. I'm with you all the way. The whole textbook might be too thick, but I am happy to just rip off the back page with yeah. the graffiti. <laughs> Who am I trying to make out that I am in the breakdown synchro? Huffman Gill. But yeah, the back page. Do you want it now? Yeah, should yeah, we go for yeah, it now? Yeah. yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, uh-huh. taking off the back page. Taking off the back page. Yeah, that'll go through the shredder. Yeah, right, because the old book's got staples in it. I don't want to break it, by, but this this can definitely go through. Yeah, are you ready? Yeah, so yeah. So I'm going to hold the shredder in solidarity and love, but it's on. Great. So Is when it you're, on? Yeah, We're ready to go in. In the middle, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Got quite camp then. I just, just quite a, ooh, ooh, shut that door. Turn into Larry Bloody Grayson. Has anyone seen my brooch? Crikey. <laughs> so, Daniel, how are you feeling? Uh, good. Good. It's a positive thing. I'm not trying to destroy anything, Mm. in a sense, by that act, because I can't. It's more about that recognition about what happened. And like I said, giving myself that love and support and trying to be kind to that internal voice Mm. rather than keep telling it to shut up or that its voice isn't valid. Yes. Which is what I've done for a long time. Moving on then mm. to the second item that I've asked you to bring. So an item that reminds you of a tough time. Mm. So what is the second item you've brought with you today? And can you describe it for our listeners? Oh, it's small. It's small. If you go on to boardgamegeek.com, which is the website for people that love board games, and you look at their charts of the best board games ever, and you scroll to the top and go to number one, there's a board game there called Gloomhaven, which is a fantasy cooperative role-play game set in the fictional town of Gloomhaven. And I love board games, and I am a board game geek. And me and two mates played Gloomhaven, and it is the best board game ever. It's damn right to be at number one. And it took us two and a half years to complete the board game. Wow. Because it's so demanding in terms of time and setup. And Can you give us a brief overview of how the game works? It's a classic dungeon crawler. So you generate a role. You've got a <laughs> role. What's a dungeon play. crawler? It's where, you, it's where you and mates, a band of mercenaries, different characters that you role play as. For instance, my first character was Wrath Craghart. Uh, <laughs> that just makes me laugh. It's such a terrible name. Out of context. But me and my mates, well, this is dead cool. And uh, you and your mercenaries explore different environments. Not always dungeons. Sometimes it's um, maybe a decaying forest or a poisoned village. And you basically, in your gang, kill the bad guys, which are normally demons, monsters, zombies, or villains. Mm-hmm. Gloomhaven's clever because there's a little bit of moral ambiguity in some of the storytelling. Sometimes your group can make wrong choices Mm -hmm. which you can remedy later on it happens over so many scenarios i mean the scenario book i think has got 130 separate missions in for you to complete we did about i think we did 68 of them um and we two years yeah it took us over two years to play very complicated game wonderful game though it is the best board game ever and if you like board games you'll know about it you'll hopefully have played it anyway what's in my hand is so the characters that you play are plastic you get a plastic but the villains are always cardboard standees is what we call them that you stick into a little plastic base Mm -hmm. and this is the 
end boss of the entire game. This is the gloom. And it's a skeletal, mysterious spirit figure. And you've got to defeat this to complete the game. And mm -hmm. we did. But the reason I brought it in is because um, what I carry it in my wallet, or I used to. And what it reminds me of is that, like I said, three of us played it, two very close friends. But one of those friends I'm estranged from. And we had, I suppose, I hate the word falling out. It sounds like something from Coro, but we just, our relationship fell apart. And I think when you're younger, friends can come and go. But as you get older in life, it's harder to make new friends, I think, mm. because you've got relationships with people that span decades and you're super close. Yes. And then for new people to come into your life is hard. And but to lose friends, it just, <clears throat> it carries like an extra... An extra weight, I think. Mm. It creates a, certainly a sadness. Yeah. I, I feel sad about a couple of friends that I've had to say goodbye to. Yeah. And I still think about them, even though it's been years. Well, I was looking for objects and I I carry this in my wallet. And I carried it in my wallet originally because the memories of the three of us playing Gloomhaven. By the way, our, our gang, because you have to give your gang of mercenaries a name. And we were called the Harlock Three. So that gives you a spirit of... of uh, and we were wonderful. We were a wonderful team. And we had such a good time. That's why I kept it in my wallet. The game's called Legacy, which means you make permanent alterations to the game as you go. So you can't sell the game afterwards. So I kind of recycled the cardboard. Wow. Yeah, it's a big investment. And the Ooh. game costs about 200 quid, by the way. Right. Okay. So a lot of cardboard and plastic. And we all took mementos from the game. And I asked if I could take the gloom, the big boss, the, what the whole game's really named mm. after. But it does. It reminds me of a friendship that I've lost. And we were really close, or I thought, that we were really close and time has come to kind of tell that um, perhaps that was not the case. And there is, later in life, it just gets a bit sad because you're like, well, I don't know, we had like a 12 year, it's a long time. Yeah. Like it's longer than sometimes some people's relationships last. Mm. It's a 12 year friendship and it just doesn't exist. I had a thought at Christmas about reaching out to them. Mm. But I made the terrible mistake of going on the internet and finding their website. And I saw some stuff on their website that reminded me why we're not friends Friendly. anymore. Mm. I saw on their website that they were basically using the material and stuff that was related to people that they'd said some horrible things about. And I was like, well, if it's good enough for your website, why isn't it good enough for you to have a relationship with those people mm. where you're promoting yourself mm. off the back of stuff that actually you think is garbage? Mm. And I shouldn't have gone on the internet because the internet's terrible. Because that's not a representation of who this person is. No, but it is a version of them. It's a version. And it reminded me yes. of the version that I told to fuck off yeah. in WhatsApp and have a nice life, mate, when they'd, I felt they'd push me too far. Mm. It was me that told him to fuck off. Sometimes as well, friendships are often, when you fall out with a friend, you do spend a lot of time remembering the good times, and that's great to go, mm. oh, actually, we did have really good times together, but there is a reason why you stop being friends. Yeah. And almost when you fall out with a friend, you, you kind of have a moment of, oh, my God, how did we become friends as well? You're trying to remember, how did we become friends in the first place? And was this friendship a lie? Because everything changes after you stop becoming friends with them. Mm. Start to question how you became friends. Is it just circumstantial? You were just in each other's lives all the time and you became friends? Or, you know, was it over this board game and it's actually the board game that solidified that friendship and everything else kind of dissipated? Well, I think the thing that makes me sad is that actually... I, and this is why I was thinking about reaching out. And I'm not going to say I'm not going to reach out because... Never say never. Especially on the therapeutic journey that I'm on, I'm feeling like it's something that I want to do. I'm not expecting anything back. But I actually think that this individual's mental health issues... Because when I remember first meeting them, they felt like a different person to the person that they became later on. Mm. And I kind of obviously think like I should just have stuck it out and kept giving them love. But I kind of, I had my own baggage and my own issues and my own, I was under a lot of strain. And, you know, I just said, you know, go fuck yourself. But when I think about the reasons probably why, I do think it is that. And obviously what I hope is that 
they have found or are on the route to finding a greater sense of peace within themselves mm. because they had some pretty horrible things happen to them and I think they they knew that they needed to work through those things and it's a long process mm. and in his heart he is such a funny lovely sweet man and yeah so I think at some stage I will probably try and reach out and um who knows what will happen? Mm. Knowing him, he won't reply because he didn't reply when we were mates. Never mind <laughs> when we're estranged. Four years later. Yeah, well, he is one of those. He was. He was one of those. Like, oh, it's just the way I am. And you're like, just reply. Just mate. yeah. Doesn't take long. Although you know, we all go through periods where we take a week to reply because <clears> we're stressed or whatever. But, but I think with with communication now, it's because everything is so instant that actually not replying is also like, oh, we. I also get that too. Mm. I think I feel like going back to an older time where we don't have apps on our phones mm. and stop using WhatsApp as a way of communicating with me because it's not valid. Mm. If you wanted to see me, you need to make an effort to come and see me. And yeah. I don't know. Kind I get of that. Pushing that boundary onto myself, which is I want to be a better friend and I want to stop using WhatsApp as a way of cancelling mm. and, you know, make, not make it formal because I mean turning into my mother, but <laughs> like just validating that friendship by actually putting in the effort. Mm. You know, post-COVID, I think we need to start making more of an effort to communicate mm. back with our friends. Um, mm. But having the cardboard gloomed gloomed mm. them. It's just the gloom. Mr. Gloom. Mr. Gloom. Mr. Gloom. Mr. Gloom Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've got them in your hand, what mm. does it feel like? It's kind of, it's a bit like my exercise book from school. It is that mix of just playing Gloomhaven with those two dear friends was just magic. We had such a good time with lots of in-jokes and terrible board game banter and just so geeky. It was just <laughs> brilliant. But equally, because I'm still super close friends with the other, mm. like we've got even closer. Mm. He's estranged as well. Like th this individual has pushed loads of people away from our mutual group. So it's not just me. Although obviously, just for the record, I did tell him to fuck off. He didn't tell me to fuck off, um, so I've just got, I've got to own that. But yeah, it was a great time. But then it's kind of, I don't know, it's long gone, and I still play board games with the other guy. Like mm. we play, and have a really good time as well. And I've done lots of great That's adventures nice. on numerous other ridiculous board games that I won't go into. <laughs> the new one we're getting is Nemesis, uh, which is on its way now. Uh, secondhand copy. Uh, just because you've got to be environmentally friendly with the board games because there's a lot of plastic and a lot of cardboard. Yes. So you have to, I always try and get a secondhand one first. Yes. Um, so that's on its way. Very, very good. Uh, very ethical, very we ethical decision. We try our best yeah. in our game boarding gang. Amazing. So what is it going to be for Mr. Gloom? He is definitely going into Mr. the shredder, shredder with the concern that I don't want my fingers to... He's very small. Let me see how thick he is. <laughs> for the supervillain of the whole game. I wonder actually whether he needs a little bit of malutation just right. to soften him up soften a bit. Soften him up. Okay. So if you want to give him a massage... Yeah, I'll, give him a, I'll try and break him up. Break him up a little bit because I think that way he'll be able to go through the shredder and shove him right in because what will happen is he might go through in one and might not get shredded. I'll tell you what. what oh, <gasps> oh you've split him in half. I split him in half. That's so clever. Is that acceptable? Yes. Okay. Let's go on my so digits. Through the middle yeah. if you get to the middle because yeah. that's where the... Go on, push him in. Oh, yes. He's gone. He's gone through. Part two of the gloom. Come on. There we go. Very He's gone. Good. The gloom is shredded. He's through. So we've killed him twice. <laughs> Both in combat. In success. Yes. Both in total combat and with a shredder. <laughs> we've got the last laugh, Mr Gloom Esquire. <laughs> and how are you feeling? It's good. It's a good feeling. I don't need to carry any more bits of cardboard around with me. I've got enough things in my wallet. It's massive as well. He really bulked the wallet out. So actually, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. So we're heading towards the last item now, um, an item that you'll cherish forever. What is it that you've brought with us today? Well, this is also from my wallet, as well as Mr Gloom, who now doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, this is, it's a pink replica bus ticket. Um, from a company called Ensign Bus Company Limited of uh, Purfleet in Essex. And on the front, it says Ella and Daniel's Wedding, Asylum Peckham to Shoreditch Townhouse, 22nd of October 2016, which is the day I got married. And um, 
Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It is a cherish um, because I, I think when you said or asked for, you know, something that you cherish or like a really special time, that is always, when people ask me, that is the thing that comes into my head. Mm. And I know obviously we live in a time where I think people can be a bit cynical about these things. And I feel very lucky. I've had so many dreams come true. I've done so many cool things, both just personally and within my career. Things that were, oh, this would be a dream if this happened, and it did, and then another one, and then another one, and then I have. So I thought, well, you know, it could be something like that. But I think those things kind of pale a bit in comparison with with love. I keep pausing because... I'm going to cry, but that's okay. Carry um, tissues. Yeah, no, I always carry tissues. That's my mum's rule. <laughs> because it's love is so overwhelming. And I think the reason I brought this and the reason I carry it in my wallet is that the feelings that I had on that day. Because the, the reason that we got a bus ticket is our wedding was in Peckham, a venue called The Asylum. And we'd managed to secure the reception at Shoreditch Townhouse, which is at least a 30, 40 minute drive away. And that means we needed to put transport on. And I like transport. I like buses, trains, trams. I like the history of transport. So I said to Ella, my wife, I want to get a nice bus to go from the Peckham to Shoreditch Townhouse, which, by the way, Monday to Friday is a lap dancing club. Um, but it shuts at the weekend because of where it is. Excellent. It only serves, like, the business sector, so we could have it for Saturday, the 22nd of October 2016. And you could just get a normal 1960s route master, which is what everyone gets. Yeah. Ofs. But the reason I went to Ensign Bus Company Limited in Purfleet, Essex, <laughs> is that they had a 1939 route master, super rare, right. that uh, had a lot of the original livery on and the design and stuff. It was a beautiful bus. It was dearer. But I thought, I want to be on a bus from 1939 to travel between these two venues. And... That's why, so then, you know, when everyone got on the bus, there's a fake conductor that works for the company and everyone, including me and Ella, because we had a small ceremony so they could fit on a double-decker. And then, you know, I was only about 40 people, I think. I'd had such a good time in Peckham. It was just amazing. And we had to leave to go to the reception. And I was a bit like, I could just stay here. But the reason this ticket's also important is that on that bus journey, as we got closer and closer to the reception venue, where I knew there was going to be about... I don't know, another 130 people. I started to get quite anxious, because I, and I got really anxious. And then when we arrived at the venue, everyone got off the bus, and I stayed on the bus. And I nearly ran. I nearly ran away. Not from the wedding or Ella or anything like that, just from the reception. And the reason I nearly ran away is that I felt so overwhelmed by love. I felt so, just with the 40 people that were there, and the day, and the songs, and... Just Ella looking so beautiful and it was just magic. And I remember sitting on the bus and being like, I I can't handle any more affection from any more love, not affection. It's not even as low as affection, it's love. I can't handle it. And then one of Ella's friends, bless her, Roz, a lifesaver, got on the bus. And she could see I was basically about to have a panic attack. I was happy. I'm going to talk about why as well in a bit, but I, I was basically, I think I'm going to have a panic attack. I've had used to suffer, really. I'm going to have a bloody panic attack. And Rod's got on the bus and she went, are you okay? And I went, oh, mate, no. <laughs> and I, that day is just such a blur, but I can't remember what Roz said. Whatever it was, it was good. And I think she, like, held my hand. I, I think I was only on the bus. I wasn't, like, on it for 10 minutes. Everyone's going, where's Dan? He's legged it. It was like a two minutes, but time went weird. You know, when you have mm. a bit of a panic attack, time goes weird. And Roz just, yeah, she just held my hand and gave me some really good advice that I can't remember what it was. But she calmed me down enough mm. and said, come on. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And I got off and then Ella's waiting for me and she holds my hand. And then we go in, we went in. And then it's just full of fucking people. Like Paul Trussell and his wife, Penn, people that weren't at the do, you know, like uh, Jamie DeCourse is there and fucking Giles Croft, uh, probably one of the reasons why Ella and I got to, oh, there's all these people. Charlie Morris is there, all these people are there. And I'm like, fucking hell, there's all these people there. Mm -hmm. And it was what I thought it would be, it was, it was overwhelming. 
And I just spent all night. It was a, the Shoreditch townhouse is an old Georgian townhouse split over four floors. I just no lift. I spent all night running up and down the stairs <laughs> because I was like, I've got to give these people some love back. I've got to give them some time. And Ella, God bless her, just got pissed and went onto the dance floor <laughs> and had her knees up. And it's me doing the rounds like a maniac. Going, Lovely to see you. And it's really, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> I worked myself into the ground. Three steps in. The reception was shit. I had a shit. <laughs> and I split my trousers. But, any, but afterwards, because every, every object for me has got to have good and a bit of bad. So obviously it's all beautiful. But... What I realised afterwards, I told Ella like the day after and we talked about it and stuff, but what I realised is that what underpinned being overwhelmed by love really is that I didn't think I was worth it. And that's something I've struggled with my whole life because of... I'm not. It's not about blame. My mum showered me with love, but my dad, I don't know, didn't give me any. Not when I was little, not really. And... I've not necessarily thought I'd been worth it. And then that dysfunctional relationship I spoke about with the graffiti I put in the back of my book, I wasn't worth it for her anyway. And I was a bit like, shit, shit, I don't think I'm worthy. And I know that I am, like, I know that I am. But there's obviously this part of me. Mm -hmm. I think with the therapy, I think that part of me is shrinking. But there's still a part of me. Even now, I've had a bit of a difficult time of late. Friends have just been really kind to me. And it's still there. Mm. Some friends, well, I mean, all my friends, have been phenomenal. Alex Martin, Kirky, Steve Patton, Dooters, The Works. There's more. Cole. And there's still that little voice that goes... But do you deserve this, though? Yeah. I it's, have that voice. It's that, that all my life. And that voice was confronted by so much evidence mm. that it nearly, nearly, it's weird, isn't it? When, when that voice is confronted by so much evidence, hard evidence, mm. normally you think the voice would go quiet, but instead what it does is it's like it kind of goes into a meltdown and then it tries to put you through a, a physical meltdown. Mm. Mm. Instead of it going, oh, yeah, no, I'm wrong, and then just going really quiet, which sometimes happens. But that day, it's like, you know, having all those people say that they love you mm. in different ways. Some just say it, some do it. And it's actually in the show, it's actually in The Great Almighty Gill, because on my wedding day, Steve Patton surprised me by getting, he got Dad's face printed on badges. Because my dad was going to be my best man at my wedding, but obviously he was dead, so he couldn't do it. Mm. And uh, so I replaced him with eight of my closest friends. And Patton got everyone a badge and me. Oh. And it, uh, yeah, I know. And it absolutely, it was just like one of the kindest things. Mm. I mean, Patton's an, been an amazing friend. And um, But it's that. It was all these little gestures and me going, I know I'm worth it, but there's a horrible part of me that's like... Do I really deserve all this? And I know I do. I yes, definitely you do. do. Yes, I know you do. I do. Yes, I know. But it's mm. external voices and internal voices yeah. going. Yes, yes, you do. You do. And I absolutely. Think so that's that. It's a vulnerable time, isn't it? Mm. Getting married, loads of love. It's mm. so vulnerable, mm. and you're just like, what the fuck? I mean, I've never got married, but I've been the best man at a wedding, mm. which was great, mm. but. You know, when you're in the room, it is overwhelming. And I wasn't even the one getting married. Mm. I could just feel a great sense mm. of love and unity mm. and joy. Mm. And at a wedding, anything feels possible. That love and kindness shown, you just go, I wish this could happen. I wish this was greater than everything else that's going on, all the mm. shit stuff that's happening elsewhere. Because mm. love is always the answer. I didn't used to believe that. I used to think sometimes punishment needed to be involved mm. but actually it's never a transaction is it yeah, indeed and as more time goes on it's just like it's got to be about love in weak moments i forget that but recently it's been something that i've remembered it's always mm. throw more love at it even if it feels counterintuitive yes throw more love at it because actually even though that's i mean of course with a caveat that it's incredibly hard mm. to do that mm. In credit, it's harder. That's why people do punishment instead. That's why we have a penal system. Yeah. When actually most people inside that penal system, even if they've done the most horrendous crimes, 
a lot of it will come from a place there's not been enough love in their life. And we have to try and remedy that as a society, mm -hmm. locking them up, apart from in the most extreme cases, not going to do anything, mm -hmm. apart from to fulfil more pain and damage, which then they will carry out on others. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you fill people with love, they carry that out on others instead. Absolutely. But unfortunately, it's, it's harder to do that. It's easier to punish. Yes. And as someone who has punished a lot of people, and I have a started to apologise for that punishment. A good friend of mine, I, he made some mistakes, not grievous mistakes. And I punished him and he didn't deserve that. And really what he needed was more love because he was suffering. And that's why he made those mistakes. And, um, you know, I think it is that. Love is always the answer. Easier said than done, but let's aim for that. Are you OK? Yeah, I'm OK. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's happy tears in yes. the sense that my wife and I have recently had a chat about something that we're most proud of and... We said getting married, I think. But, you know, it's not an easy road and our relationship at the moment is not an easy road, but that's the nature of it. Yeah. And we both still believe in that. So it's all happy. Mm. It's all happy weeping. It's just talking about good things mm. is in some ways more moving mm. than talking about... Uh, Shit things. Yeah, it is. Things. It is, absolutely. Mm. So, no, it's all good. It's positive weeping. Yeah, positive weeping. Uh, <laughs> I'm just weeping. positively going to weep now, if that's okay with you. Well, that's every therapy session for me at the moment. It's all positive <laughs> just weeping. positively weep now. Um, yes. Great name for an album. <laughs> Progressive rock, perhaps. Yes. And there's also, like, this feeling of, at that wedding, like, obviously that wedding was going to pass, wasn't it? That event was going to pass. And, you know, this too shall pass. Mm. But love will always exist. Absolutely. Yeah, it took me my wife ages to recover from the wedding day not for alcohol reasons but just for I felt like I was a stunned seal mm. was like that? It's exo it must be re I mean I've, as I say I've never been married crazy just the amount of interaction constant interaction yeah. and also the organisational element of it too we organised every little element that there was no wedding planner or companies overseeing stuff because mm. we wanted it our way mm. we pieced it together which yeah. was great but very stressful and yeah I can see why people just book a hall somewhere in the countryside and they already have their caterers their flower people their table people yeah we all organize a team it's like one team we're organizing tables and then have a reception in a lap dancing club I mean um, so and I think I'm going to know the answer to this one mm. so I was going to say DHG. DHG, DHG. DHG is another name I go by. DHG, is this a shred or is this a keep? It's a keep. It goes back in the wallet. Just because every now and then it's nice to get out mm. and look at. Because we've only got one each. Ella's got hers that she keeps in a special box, her special box, and I carry it around with me. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, there's great comfort in it. Yeah. It's actually an object that, Sometimes I keep lots of objects and I don't look at them. But this is one I actually look at. Yeah. And even just listening to that story, like, it's just such a cathartic experience for you that day because you've gone mm. from one end of the spectrum to the other in a mm. matter of minutes. Mm. And it's always good to look back at that item and go, I got through that day mm. and what a beautiful day it was mm. and the proudest yeah. oh, moment so of my life. I'm so glad I didn't run away. Yeah. Oh, that'd have been terrible. What a terrible thing to do. My mum would have been livid. He <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't cut the cake. Yeah, he didn't cut the cake. He didn't do a dance. He didn't do any of the terrible, weird traditions that only are like 100 years old and were made up by the Victorians. <laughs> But I'm really glad that you've kept it. And it's such a gorgeous story. So thank you so much for sharing all of your items. I've had a really beautiful experience listening to all of your stories. And I think it's amazing that you're going through your therapeutic journey, no matter what age you do it at, mm. to go through that and address a whole myriad of things that have shaped your life is just amazing. So just keep going. Mm, absolutely. I'm, thank you. I will do. I'm due some therapy soon, actually. So I'm looking forward to that. Get stuck in. Yeah. It's always a great hair-raising ride. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the psychiatrist. Come on, NHS. I'm waiting. It'll probably be two years, which will be fine. I think I'll be okay. But I've had a few bouts of counselling with... Um, I've done CBT. It didn't work for me. Mm. Then I had a counsellor, which was great. But now I think... Because uh, it's the same things that come back, mm. like the value of love, you know, just like really bad habits and all that mm. kind of stuff. And, you know, but I've come a long way. And I mm. think you have a breakdown, you have a realisation. What didn't help was probably COVID. That's probably stalled quite a lot. Oh, yeah, I mean, but yeah. But yeah, I love therapy. Mm. I love it. So I'm looking forward to my lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I wish you all the luck with it because I just think it can really lead to some 
fantastic breakthroughs. You can have massive epiphanies with mm. just a, a few words strung together, yes. which is still the joy of it. Even if something was steering you like this for 40 years, someone actually just um, switching the camera so you can see it from a different mm. angle enables you to really go ah okay and have a huge understanding which is just it just makes life easier i think yeah i see lots of people that could need a good chat you need therapy you need therapy and you need therapy <laughs> yeah. okay then so before we head off um what have you got coming up for yourself where can we find you check you out follow you incessantly on all social media platforms yeah i mean i'm on insta if you want to look at pictures of where I go on my travels, I think that's at Daniel HG76. And then I'm on Twitter, which I love. Is the Great Almighty Girl touring again? Yes. Is it coming back to the Edinburgh Fringe? Or? It won't. No, God, no. No, that <laughs> hellscape. Uh, five we'll fringes and never doing it again. Every yes. time I say that. Uh, horrible, horrible place. Not obviously the city of Edinburgh is delightful. Uh, the festival is just, uh, just horrible. Yes, but there is no details as of yet. Uh, I am thinking New Perspectives, the producing company, will be going out on tour in autumn, winter of this year. I think that is the plan. And at the moment, it's as it always is for me work-wise, apart from that tour in later on this year. It's a case of waiting for magical work to appear. Amazing. Well, I hope you have an amazing rest of year and I hope the show does tour. Mm. Do let me know. Until then, thank you very much, Daniel Hoffman Gill. I really you. appreciate it. Thank you. If you've been affected by some of the topics in the conversation, there is lots of information, advice and support online. If you're concerned about a child who might be experiencing child abuse, you can go to the NSPCC website on nspcc.org.uk and you can give them a call on 0808 800 5000. For children under 18, they can call 0800 1111. If you are struggling with your mental health, you can visit Samaritans.org or call them for free on 116 123. All of these links are on our show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Landfill of Memories, the podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, wonderful. And it's always appreciated if you could share this podcast with your friends, family and fellow hoarders too. If you want to hear more, make sure you click the follow button now on whatever app you use to listen to your podcasts. You can also follow me on social media on at Landfill of Mems. Many blessings. <laughs>